0: Hey, gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to July's version of Deep Dive. And once again, we are so extremely honored to welcome back the great Ron Nevison. Uh, as everyone pretty much knows, Ron was on the show a few months ago, and it was amazing. And there is so much stuff in his in his career to talk about. But uh, tops on my list that I thought might engender the greatest conversation and debate is to discuss... Heart's commercial breakthrough or resurgence or whatever you want to call it, their self-titled album from 1985, produced by Ron Nevison. It's got the hits, you know, like Never and uh, These Dreams, Nothing At All, which is my favorite. So we get into, I mean, as I think most people know, Heart has sort of disowned this period of their career. They are not happy about it. They did not write the majority of the hits that were coming out in the late 80s. And so, Ann Wilson has said publicly that she felt a little bit like a Chanteuse and they see themselves as songwriters. And so they've dismissed this period and they shouldn't because this is the period of heart that I like the most. I don't need to hear Barracuda again. Give me nothing at all in all its glory. So we discuss why that might be, you know, where their heads were at when they produced this thing and when they recorded it and wrote it and put it out in the world, and why Ann and Nancy might be so against it now. Anyway, I love this conversation. It's one of the favorite ones we've ever had on this show, deep dive or not. And just as a reminder, we are so lucky to have people like Ron Nevison sharing musical history with us like this. We are so lucky. Anyway, enjoy. So here's what we've been doing is, uh, this year we started, we bring back, some of our guests and deep dive an album they worked on and in some case it's the artists themselves sometimes it's a session musician in your case it's a producer and um just kind of dive into sort of the you know the recording behind the scenes creative process you know some of the any stories you remember any memories we'll talk about like you know what were hits stuff like that and um I uh, and I know you've worked on a million things, but this is the this mm-hmm. album is the one that I feel I I just might have one of the best stories or I'm most curious about, and so I'm I'm going with okay. heart from '85. Okay. I hope that's okay.
1: No, that's fine. You, know, you, you 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 let me know that that was the thing that you wanted to talk about, which is fine with me. Good. Uh, and of course, it's uh, it's my biggest ever selling a, a single record. LP as a producer seriously um, yeah as a producer I mean I've had bigger yeah. as an engineer uh, as an engineer you know uh, but as a producer that particular record sold I think you know at least 10 million wow, wow. Uh, in, in this country yeah let alone and so you know that uh, that's, uh, that puts it into a rarefied air
0: okay, okay. For starters, I actually uh, I want to sort of set the stage here because I think I I think most people know that the Wilson sisters uh, today are not particularly fond of this period of their career and they've been sort of outspoken about it. And it's a shame. And uh, there's a really excellent article on a website called Pop Matters that was written for the 30th anniversary of the release of this album. And anyone who is interested should go read this entire article because it's all the behind the scenes stuff. But I want to read one particular paragraph from this article because I think it sets a stage for what we're kind of dealing with here. It says, Ever since Grunge Rock turned Hart's hair metal meal ticket into a scarlet letter, the Wilson Sisters <laughs> Yeah. The Wilson Sisters have toiled with a bizarre earnestness to twist one of the greatest arena rock trilogies ever. Heart, Bad Animals, and Brigade into a Judean desert-level tale of temptation with a suspiciously mutt-langish devil offering up industrial-sized cans of Aquanet, two tight corsets, and platinum albums in lieu of all the kingdoms of the world. So I wanted to read that in particular because this period of Heart is their commercial breakthrough and yet, you know, they're not proud of it. So for starters, right? I just want to know. Yeah. I just I just want to know what that guy was on that,
1: that wrote that. <laughs> what did he take? I don't know. What did he possibly take to make that kind of analogy? I know. Oh. You know, you, you. It's easy in hindsight to it's easy in hindsight to criticize.
2: Hmm.
1: When you're in the moment and you're confronted with a record company and a management company as strong as Capital and HK Management and you're you're also have a mandate to have a hit with this band and you know what the format is and mm-hmm. you know that if you have an album album track a, a big album track it'll sell you a couple couple hundred thousand records mm-hmm. and if you have a, a hit single it'll sell you a couple of million
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you have to think about what you want to do to hit that format, mm-hmm. and if you don't want to hit that format, then you don't have a hit Yeah, and so if you want to have a hit you have to conform to that mm-hmm. And so it's easy to look back and not remember all that shit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, when you're in the moment, uh, that's what you have to do That's what my job is to do Yeah, yeah And, and yeah, I understand that, they, that they were never happy with doing uh, other people's songs But they realized that they were going down uh-huh. if they didn't have a hit record here. They realized that Epic had dropped them after Passion Works because they didn't have any hit singles. Uh-huh. And they agreed uh, to, to go with Capital, and they had a new record label, a new producer, a new management company, uh, all poised to market them. And they had to go along with it or, or risk going down.
0: So why then do people and we'll just say why then do you think the Wilson sisters regret that decision now? Because as I as you and I as I mentioned to you before, my feeling is that you were behind the boards on the gr- on the greatest pop rock music available at that time. You know what I mean? The Survivor records and all those other things that you were working on at that time. It it's, it provides this pristine example of this is how good it can be. This is what rock music is in the 80s. Jump on or do something different. Why do you think they regret doing that or at least aren't on board with it? Well, you know, I don't think they do regret it.
1: Uh I really don't. Mm. I think that if the alternative was to disappear as as a performing act into the also has-beens, um not saying that that would have happened but mm-hmm. they they it could have happened to them mm-hmm. it's easy for them to say right now after all that success the commercial success that we didn't want that yeah. but they did yeah yeah so that's 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 basically bullshit
0: yeah that's my that was one of my questions it, while this is happening are you vi- do you see apprehension in them do you see them say, uh other than I can understand that they're, the songs they're writing are not necessarily the hits that are coming off of this album. That part I can understand. But, I mean, they worked with you for two, two of those, the two biggest albums. When they come in for Bad Animals and the, and you they've just had this wave of success, are they apprehensive? Like, Ron, we liked working with you, but you gotta do this a little differently. You gotta, you know? Or is it like, let's just do this again? Let's just do this again.
1: You know, uh, it wasn't, nothing really had changed.
0: Mm. But let me ask you this. I am curious, how did you even become involved? I had met them briefly
1: in 1979 or 80, four years before we, hmm. we started working together. I was at a gig in El Paso with Starship. I had just done hmm. a, a Starship album. Paul Kantner uh, said, hey, why don't you take a ride with me? I think we had a day off. I want to go see the Heart Girls. They're they're rehearsing in Las Cruces, hmm. which was only you know hour hour and a half drive or something like that. And so I went and met them. And I've been a big fan for for years. I love the the, the fact that Ann had that like Robert Plant side hmm. to her, and you know that dog and butterfly side to her. Yeah. She had that special special thing. And the two of them, Ann and Nancy. I mean, it, it was just one of the greatest out-of-the-box album Dreambow and Annie uh-huh. in the late 70s except for maybe Boston uh-huh. you know uh-huh. it was gigantic and I was a big fan so I uh, went along with Paul and uh, I met them not knowing that in a few years I would I would see them again somewhere in the fall of 84 I got a call from Michael Lipman my manager who said hey what do you think about working with Heart? And I said, oh, I'd love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they want to talk to you about doing a couple of ballads. And uh, I had just had a couple of big hits. I just had a, the, the uh, Survivor mm-hmm. Vital Signs, and we, we had the big hit, The Search Is Over, yep. and High On You, pop rock kind of ballady mm-hmm. stuff. And I guess uh, that and the fact that I had... Been the engineer on physical graffiti for mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, kind of intrigued them that I this bet. could be you know, uh, and and so yeah, I flew up to Seattle to to meet with the girls, flew up and then flew back same night. But we had dinner, we talked, and I thought it, the meeting went great. But you never know. Mm-hmm. And you're driving back to the airport herself, and I got a call. I don't know the next day or two days that the meeting went great. They want you to do the whole record. Wow. So that's how that started. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I met with Don Grierson, who explained to me. Now, Don was, sadly, Don has passed away now. Mm-hmm. Don, at that time, was the head of a for Capital. Hart was his new signing. He had a lot of success uh, right around then with Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. And Joe Cocker And he had a fairly good roster going And he told Anna and Nancy that he would sign them If they would do Two things If they would mutually agree on the producer And mutually Agree on the songs And be prepared to do Outside songs if necessary And so that was One of the That was the kind of criteria Mm. of Signing them Mm -hmm. So the fact that they had had a disappointing outing with Passion Works for the last Epic record they did. The fact that they, uh, in order to get the deal, they agreed to, to Don Grierson's terms, and they had a whole new uh, a team. know, mm-hmm. they had Trudy Green with, uh, with Howard Kaufman's management, a great management company. She was a terrific manager. Yeah. And a great label and a great producer. And me, it was a great way to start off. Yeah. So they uh, let me um, <laughs> let
0: me interject one thing real quick. You you mentioned those survivor songs. So they had heard those. They knew that this is kind of what the album might sound like ultimately. I mean, I guess you mentioning that, I guess they it's not that they are complaining today or regret the quality of the songs, maybe more that they just weren't theirs and that they were sort of sexualized in the videos back then. It seems like
1: Well, I had no control over that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I, that's. See, it was still fairly early days for MTV. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'll never forget. uh, There was a song I did with Starship called "No Way Out," Mm -hmm. and I went to see them do the video. And "No Way Out" was about a guy who got caught cheating on his wife. Right? No way out. She doesn't Mm -hmm. buy my story. You know, (laughs) and here I am at the video shoot, and there's Grace Slick in a nun's habit in a confessional talking to Father Guido Sarducci. And, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, what the fuck is that? And, and, and it's totally out of your hands, man. Yeah, Once yeah. it, you know, uh, uh, you kind of go, like, uh, what is going on here? Uh, in those days, uh, early days of MTV, not too early, but certainly in the first five years of it serious on TV. They didn't know what to do. They, they would give these jobs to commercial mm-hmm. directors that they were used to making one minute commercials to do their three minute songs. Right. And certainly there were great, great, uh, you know, sure. Under like a wolf. Uh, there was some great videos, sure. but there's also some, some lame videos. Yeah. And, um, as far as how, how to portray them, I, I was, wasn't my marketing campaign, Right, sure. right. I, I'm happy that we had success. Uh, I understand that they probably wished that they had written all the material, but they kind of agreed to go along with the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if, uh, the alternative could have been that they wouldn't have been a, a factor in, in, uh, anymore. No. And so, um, you know, yeah. they have to think of that when yeah. they start complaining.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, You mentioned this Trudy Green. I read somewhere; it may have even been in the same Pop Matters article that she was tough, five foot two, and obsessed with breasts. (laughs) Was she? Was she the one (laughs) who was trying to like, no, girls, you got to flaunt it. We need a lot of cleavage. That's going to sell a lot of records. No,
1: I, I I don't know.
0: Mm.
1: I I don't know about the last part. Uh, She was tough, and she was five foot two. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, I don't even know if she was, five, I don't even know if she hit five feet, Oh, really? but she was a great, she was a little pit bull. Uh-huh. She was great. And I'm not sure about the marketing side of things. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, what happens when you do a record like this is you, you turn it in and then all of these campaigns mm-hmm. start, right? You know, uh, I'm, i by the time, the uh, there's a video on MTV I'm doing another record yeah I'm not consulted about stuff like that okay it's gone yeah so how uh-huh. they decide to market it which singles they decide to pick what videos they decide to do uh, you know That's I'm not in that loop at all okay. um, yeah I'm not in that loop at all
0: okay did you have anything to do with the selection of what songs went on to the album yeah you did yeah i did were you farming those out yourself or how did they come to be farming them out well like i'll give you an example the first track if looks could kill i know when we talked before i remember you particularly liking this song That same year, I didn't know this until doing research to talk to you, a woman named Pamela Stanley did a version of that song that almost sounds a little disco. It reminded me a little bit of Laura Branigan and what she might have done at that time. Were you aware of, did you hear that song somewhere and think, this will be great for Hart, we got to give this to Hart, or did someone else make that decision?
1: No, no, it was sitting on Don the desk, mm. headed for Tina's for Tina Turner and I diverted it. (laughs) He played it for me. I said, this is a song for Tina. I said, no, I want it because of the lyrics. You know, if looks could kill, you'd be lying on the floor. You'd be, you know, begging me, please, please, please don't hurt me no more. Mm -hmm. I thought that's great imagery for Ann Wilson. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kind of great, tough rock and roll singer, you know. And so I did hear it. I, I heard the disco version of it. And it was like Tink, you know? yes. <laughs> So I rocked it up
0: Yeah, you did
1: And uh, um, Yeah, Don uh, Was was uh, nice enough To let me use it
0: Good Okay Yeah, that's a great tune And it was released As a single I should say It only reached number 54 But it was the fifth single off the album So by that point You know um, Right it But it was
1: also released It was also released To rock radio
0: mm. AOR radio too mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it was never designed To be a top uh Mm. uh, you know top 100 hit got it
0: okay okay um now one thing and and this is i don't want to harp on this too much because there's a lot of other good stuff to talk about but one other uh, quote i read i believe came from ann wilson's book and she said we were ready to have a strong producer with a vision even if it wasn't always a vision we shared and i didn't know if that was again this sort of Uh, retroactive history telling of what really happened or at the time if you two were butting heads or you and them or whoever was there tension there or were they kind of happy with what was going on?
1: Well I I kind of I think that Ann Wilson and Nancy were used to being kind of babysat Mm. let me Mm. just say by other producers and you know and uh, I, I was pretty much no nonsense, you know. Mm-hmm. We had a good rapport, but she would never confront me. Instead of like saying, you know, Ron, I don't think we should do it like that, she would call up Trudy Green, and Trudy would mm-hmm. call me up. Anne doesn't like that. Yeah. I said, why don't you tell Anne to ask to tell me that? <laughs> oh, you know how she is. She doesn't <laughs> want to be confrontational. Well, it's tough to have a relationship with somebody that yeah. that kind of can't can't say. You know mm-hmm. so I, I uh, but that I, I didn't have time for that kind of stuff yeah you know yeah so uh,
0: yeah mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't perfect but it worked you know ultimately okay at the time were you yeah. when you take on a project like this is it the do you block out like three months of your calendar and only do this or are you doing other projects kind of at the same time I don't even know how that works
1: I wouldn't do another project I, I never things uh, mm. you know if 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 I'm doing an album project with anywhere from nine to 14 songs mm-hmm. I kind of stay with that unless there's some reason to break and do something else okay uh, I stay with it okay
0: I didn't know because you did this up in Sausalito the uh, record plant Well, no right? we, we cut we cut the drum
1: tracks at studio D at the record plant okay. in Los Angeles but they didn't like la ah I, there wasn't really a studio in Seattle until they they was there was a couple but nothing great until they actually built their own studio mm-hmm. and so we decided on Sausalito okay. uh, the Sausalito record plant they loved the area I wanted them away from Seattle I wanted to have a cap, kind of a captive audience and so once we finished the drum tracks and the bass tracks um, I took Howard. And Nancy and Ann, and we went to Sausalito to do vocals and overdubs, and and Peter Wolf too, right? Who was an okay. essential part of the whole formula.
0: Yeah. So let a uh, little bit of background. The album was released on July sixth, nineteen eighty five. At the time, it went five times platinum. It's much bigger than that now. It's their one and only number one album. Uh, it had they had five singles. Four of them reached the top ten other than the looks that ki- uh, looks could kill. Rolling Stone magazine, the killjoys that they are only gave it two and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> I think I personally probably would have given it about four. And, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you more why in a little bit. I feel like the songs that aren't okay. the, the singles, there's a noticeable kind of a filler feeling or differentiation in quality to me personally, maybe not to other people.
1: Without the songs that were brought in, the whole album would have been like that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And those songs are good, but they they don't compare to the hits, you know? No. The hits are too good. Uh, It was Grammy nominated for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. One thing I was curious about is Nancy, at this time, was dating Cameron Crowe. Was he around at all? Yeah, Cameron was
1: around. He would come into the studio. I saw him a lot when we were rehearsing. Before we actually got in the studio, uh, I went up to Nancy's house where the band rehearsed uh, at least two times, maybe even three times, to have rehearsals, introduce new songs, work new songs up, and kind of get ready for the recording. Okay. And he was there a lot at that point.
0: Yeah. Is he? Um, is, you know, sometimes people, you know, having Yoko around kind of harshes harsh everyone's buzz. Was Cameron a Good guy to have uh, around? Was he a, was oh, he yeah, no, a distraction? No. He was,
1: you know, you know, Cameron Crowe. I mean, yeah. famous at that time, the fast times at Ridgemont, mm-hmm. a, a rock writer. He understood uh, the whole thing. He understood my role. He understood my history. Uh, he was a great guy to have around.
0: Good. Okay. And who was Ann dating at the time? Anyone we would know or was she in a relationship? I'm not sure. Not that, I re- not that I recall. Okay. And is it when you, you know, when you, <laughs> if these guys were, if if Hart were a bunch of dudes, there would be women everywhere, groupies, cocaine all over the place. It, do the rules change when it's a couple of women or is it still just rock and roll all the time? There's a difference between
1: studio recordings and being on the road. Uh, I-, I wasn't going to tolerate too much, uh, too much shenanigans uh, in the studio, but uh, there was They weren't perfect. So I need to say uh-huh. that.
0: Sure. When you're working, I imagine at least in the '80s, there's just kind of like a pile of cocaine there for communal use. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, we know the we know how bad that is now. But that was just sort of de rigueur at the time. That's how people b- did business. Is there a pile of cocaine yeah. on the board and everyone's sort of snorting as they need as they go? During
1: this album? No. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Something like that. Oh. No. 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 Okay. Nothing
1: like that. Uh, there hasn't been too many albums that are done. To, you know, people were getting high all the time. They were sure. they would discreetly go into the bathroom. So no, definitely okay. not this album.
0: OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this sure. time, uh, as I was mentioning, the visuals were very important. And Anne's face was being put front and center. And Nancy's body was being put front and center. Were you party to any conversations about Anne's weight? Because I know she's struggled with that off and on in her career. Was well,
1: that... uh, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it. She had gained weight. Uh-huh. You know, it was more important uh, at this point in time because of MTV mm-hmm. to have us maybe a slimmer image. But you know, so they they, they kind of uh, did what they could to to kind of uh, show them in, in the best light. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I wasn't party to any of them marketing stuff okay. okay you know I was not party to to the to the album cover or mm-hmm. uh, you know any of the I mean I did go to a couple of the videos I went to the what about love video in London okay but I just happened to be there doing the Joe Cocker record when uh-huh. I was
0: there, so. okay let me see here what, one other question I had what what's the dynamic like with Ann and Nancy is it one of those things where if you're dealing with one you're dealing with both are they consistently united front or do they argue sometimes, too, or not? Or is one more dominant than the other?
1: Well, I would say that Ann was the more dominant one. But it's pretty much like you would imagine. Okay. They're sisters. They're together all the time. Uh, they compliment each other. They don't argue. At least they didn't in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that Ann, Ann was the more dominant one
0: of the two, though. OK. What would Ann do to warm up her voice? she's got one of the greatest voices in rock history on those days maybe when it's a little scratchy or she's hung over she has a cold whatever it might be what is what are the tricks that Ann does I don't know okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know actually okay. like, every every singer has their own
1: kind of warm-up mm-hmm. and it they don't always do it in the studio they might do it outside they might do it in their car on the way- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i not. I don't remember. Actually, it's a couple of years ago. Like, is it 40 yet? Uh, 35. Years ago? <laughs> 35 years. Ago? Okay. Yes. Yeah, 35 years ago. Yeah, uh, I'm supposed to remember what that. Yeah. Is. Okay. I'm sorry. In fact, it was released
0: almost 34 years ago to the day. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's see. I have some other questions, but I'll sprinkle mm-hmm. them in with uh, with this. We've already okay. kind of talked about if looks could kill. It's a great tune. All right. Track All right. two. What about love? Uh, This was the first single off the album that reached number 10. You and I talked a little bit about this the first time and, and it, it got a little testy mm. only because I was... This was a song by the group Toronto, a Canadian group, obviously, that Jim Valance co-wrote with them. But anyway, they co-wrote that song and that was on their album a year or two before. But when you got it, it was you viewed it as more of a demo. Like someone gave you this song and thought this would be great for heart, right? That came
1: across Don Gerson's desk. Okay. He found that. And he asked me what I thought of it, and I said, great, I love it, perfect for them. Mm-hmm. But it was a little wimpy the, the way it sounded, yeah. but it, that doesn't mean I got that version.
2: Right. Oh, good you point. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, what
1: I heard could have been the version of a demo before that. True. Uh, uh, that they had done. So it's hard to say, because I don't remember, but I remember them not liking the vocal treatment. Mm. But you know, maybe that was another that could have been the song alone, which is on the bad.
0: Mm-hmm. you know
1: I was I was always trying to sell them songs, yeah and get get their approval, and sometimes they didn't like the way it sounded, and I said, you know I would tell them don't don't think of it as the, as the treatment. Mm-hmm. you know, we can change the key, we can change we can change the treatment, you know, don't listen to the vocal performance, just think of it as notes on a paper, yeah. You know, it's it's easy to say, it's hard to do. But I think that they didn't like "What About Love," and um, I remember on one of the songs, Nancy kind of left the room in a huff. Mm. Uh, it could have been "What About Love." Mostly, I would say, let's work it up as a band. Let's uh-huh. play it as a band. Yeah, because we have Denny Carmassi, an amazing drummer. Yeah. Uh, you know, great rhythm section. Let's work it up as a band and see how powerful we can get it. Let's see how, how we can make it into heart. And mostly they started really listening to it. Once they did that and heard how they could do it, uh, it, it we never went back. It, they never said to me, oh, we don't like it. Nice. We can't do this.
0: Okay. You were saying before that you didn't really have a hand in what was being released as a single and in what order and when. But as you're working on this, at least, are you aware that you probably have a powerful single on your hands? I I think that we
1: thought that What About Love would probably be the first single. Mm. That's what they were talking about. Uh, I remember at the record plant in Los Angeles, just the drum tracks. uh, Howard Kaufman came down with Trudy Green. And when he heard What About Love, he flipped out. You know, this was just the guitar, bass drums, and some synth, hmm. and, a, and a rough vocal. So hmm. it was pretty much that, that you know, um, the the song, These Dreams, which we're going to get to, uh, you know, I I wasn't sure if that would ever be a single, yeah. because of the fact that Nancy's singing it, hmm. and, and the lead singer. Yeah, Uh, the way it it worked out beautifully
0: in the end. Now I should say, "What about love" is one of the few songs from this era that they still play. Um, I I saw them in concert a few a couple of years ago, and um, it was a truncated show. There was bad weather, and there had been a long rain delay, and so it was cut short. But I was going back looking at some of their set lists, and this and these dreams and alone are the only three songs from this era that make a current playlist or set list of theirs. And that really surprised me. And I think when they do it, they might even do it acoustically, or at least not with the bombast that is so, it's the signature of what makes these songs great in the beginning. And uh, again, just to, again, I don't want to harp on it, but it's sad to me as someone who came around, I look, I'd much rather hear, what about Love than mm-hmm, Barracuda? Mm-hmm. You know, I just would. It's my mm-hmm, era, no. they're catchier, it, means more to me. And it's sad that if you're going to go see Hart, they're going to downplay this period, you know?
1: No, don't worry about it. But, you know, that's, that's what
0: happens. And
1: I think that uh, as performers uh, that have hits, they have to come to terms with those hits. Mm -hmm. They have to understand that in 10 years, that that people are coming to hear you play those hits. And it really doesn't matter what you, whether you like them or not you owe it to the fans to play those hits. So true. stop fucking complaining about it.
0: Get on with it. <laughs> Love it. Um, now I want to press you on one thing. You mentioned a, a, a minute ago when you were describing the song, you said, I think we knew that it was going to be a first single. How do you know that? What say, How does it say to you, oh, this has first single written on it? Why is it not second or third single? Again,
1: that wasn't my call. Right, But that was the feeling that, that I'm re- recalling. That's kind of what I remember. I could see the that. The buzz being about, the buzz was about that.
0: So what? what um, if, if you can describe it, what, what feeds this buzz? Is it an idea that it's the best song? That it's the mo- song that makes the most sense as a first single? That it's the song that should reintroduce them after, the, after passion works? What creates that buzz? Can you put a finger on it?
1: Yes, all of the things you just said oh, okay. okay the fact that the fact that it uh, it represents the new era of this band mm-hmm. which was powerful and big it had a, it had something to say
0: okay yeah just curious what feeds you know you guys are on the inside we're just fans I'm, I just wonder what goes on uh-huh. you know, in the machinery behind the scenes uh, okay let's go with Never. yeah yeah uh, track three, Never, was the second single off the album, It reached number four. did write this song or at least co-wrote it with uh, Holly Knight was Holly how did you did you introduce those two did they already know each other there's a lot of different ways of bringing
1: songs to people when you tell people they need outside material uh, you can either bring songs or get them to co-write songs which kind of makes it go down a little bit easier Hmm. Holly Knight was a hit Songwriter, and Trudy Green contacted her. Uh, Trudy Green got Holly and the girls together okay. to write two songs. So we had we had two songs that were co-written by by Holly and the girls.
0: Okay. Do you know why the why the girls labeled themselves Connie uh, as a pseudonym on the album? Why they didn't just call them why they didn't just use their own names
1: you know i'm not sure about that i I remember they them doing that sue ennis would know that Uh she was their their kind of their kind of best friend and that was like probably something that was special to them okay and i can't remember i can't remember after
0: 35 years what it was (laughs) (laughs) i I won't fault you for that ron i'm wondering if because they Hmm. had a hand in writing this song, did you do you notice a greater, you know, investment in them on the songs that they write versus the ones that come in from outside? Let me just say that there was no complaints during the
1: recording of this album.
2: Mm. Okay,
1: you know, there were maybe a few complaints before we started recording on what was going to be on or what wasn't or what they liked and what they didn't. But once we started work on the on this record, Uh, Now, it it could be we recorded another song or two. I can't remember. Mm. A lot of times I'll do that, but I don't remember doing that on this particular record. Uh, But I don't remember any, you know, having to drag them to any recording sessions. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It was pretty smooth sailing once we got going. Okay. You know, we cut the tracks in LA, then we went to Sausalito Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: did all the overdubs, and I think we even mixed there. OK, uh, maybe not all at the same time. I know that we were working in the fall of 84 and I know that we took a Christmas break and then came back to finish it. That's the way I remember it. Hmm.
0: Nice. OK,
1: finishing up, finishing it up in early, early
0: 1985. OK, yeah. I wondered if um, it, and this goes for anyone, not just them. But if you if you ever notice a sort of a spring in the step. Of the artist when they're working on their own material versus the stuff that comes from someone else. If there's a a greater sparkle in their eye, or maybe they show up early, or maybe they're less hungover, or maybe, you know what I mean? Whatever that might be, I wondered if there's a noticeable difference in attitude or, you know, uh, their attitude or their feelings that day. But it sounds like maybe not.
1: No, I don't think. I don't think it's about that. I, I think they're excited to do a great song, yeah. even if it's not theirs. I think it's the quality of the song, how much fun it is to sing, how much fun it is to play. Okay. Uh, that that's a, the biggest
0: determining factor. That makes sense. Okay, I want to talk about a little bit of your hand in this song because there's there's a lot going on. Uh, the the woes that kick off the song. I can't see you do it that's girl oh my gosh what a moment um yes that whose decision was it to kick off the song with that before going into a verse you know what i mean when they Uh, write a song is that written down is it say somewhere we're going to kick it off with whoa well that's just that's just an ad lib. right but then that's the part you mean right yeah
1: that's, yeah, that was the way the song was written. Oh, okay. That's okay. Holly Knight. I think that's a Holly Knight
0: thing. Really?
1: You know, just, yeah. Okay. That's just a hook. Just See, a those hook. are the
0: those are the little, you know, that's when you sprinkle the magic pixie dust on there.
1: Once What About Love was climbing the charts, and they were talking about Never as the next single. I remember Holly Knight complaining that the mix was too safe. <laughs>
0: really and
1: yeah and i listened to it and i said what do you mean goes into this and, that? and i said yeah i agree and so we went in and remixed it for the for the single really? and i took out a guitar here i took out a guitar there so it wasn't so yeah we made it a little bit more interesting ah. so I was, I was happy she brought that up it wasn't much different right but it was we did kind of we did uh some uh, some, some work on it
0: okay That song kicks off with sort of, I don't know, I mean, I'm not the expert that you are, but it's like a plucking sound on the guitar a little bit. And there's almost like bells going off a little bit in the background. How do you achieve this sound, Ron? How do you do that?
1: Uh It's a combination of guitar, either acoustic or electric, and synthesizer. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the reason that there's so much synthesizer in this era is because it just got invented. You know, uh, it, when I worked with Pete Townsend uh, on Quadrophenia and the Tommy film in the '70s, he had an ARP 2500, 2600 uh, synthesizer, and it was it, it was these huge, big cubes, and you'd have to you'd have to use cables to hook them back up together, and you get a sound, but you couldn't keep it.
2: Uh-huh.
1: It wasn't like they had a program. So if you wanted a string sound, you'd get the string sound. That, but then you'd have to destroy the sound to get another sound.
2: Mm.
1: So you'd have to do it and then record it. Mm. And it wasn't until uh, later on, the late '70s, that you know the early stuff we're talking about Moogs were like that. They were just oscillators. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they, they, I think it was 1981 or '82, that the Yamaha DX7 came out. that was had algorithms, so it was a digital. The first digital synthesizer we actually had programs and once we had those programs we were like uh, kids in you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) candy stores like
1: a can was a candy store thing and that's why a guy like peter wolf came along Mm -hmm. with all with all the new stuff and a brilliant musician uh just sensational you know Mm -hmm. he's austrian he's from austria Mm -hmm. And he had all of this musical background that was classical, classically trained pianist, as well as being up on all of the latest, uh, you know, he was, he wasn't a rock guy. I mean, mm. I guess, I mean, he was, he was more like a Peter Gabriel kind of guy. Mm, I see. Right? He didn't really understand American rock Yeah. as such. Okay. But uh, yeah. Okay. So I I know we got off the subject a little bit. No, this is... Yeah, it never was uh, recorded. uh, um, I I guess they did a demo. Okay. You know, and somewhere in my storage, I have cassettes of all this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) I don't have a cassette player now, but
0: I have cassettes. (laughs) Oh, that's great. By the way, the, me mentioning these songs are just springboards for yeah. these kind of conversations. So don't ever apologize for going off on some tangent because that's why okay. you're here. That's okay. why we want to hear from you. I love it. Okay. Um, You know, you worked on so many great rock albums. Did you like New Wave? Did you like Human League and Ultravox and those types of bands? No. No. Too much synthesizer for you?
1: No. I just didn't like their... I didn't like that that kind of rock. Mm. The kind of rock that I liked coming out of England was the stuff that I, you know, the Zeppelin, Bad yeah. Company, The mm-hmm. Who, not the kind of glam rock, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure what the call, was that, what, what would you, how would you, uh, are those fans you mentioned, how would you, what kind of rock would, Well,
0: they're that? like New Wave, you know, they're um, synthesizer. Yeah, I wasn't a, I was in a yeah. new, I wasn't a new wave guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wondered you you expertly so expertly intertwined synthesizers with rock. I wondered if you could get down with a full on uh, synthesizer based album, or if that was just you know. I thing.
1: listen. No, I think I overdid it sometimes. Oh. Hmm. You know, I I just uh, I just saw Paul Stanley. I took my daughter to a Kiss concert here in Portland. Nice. Uh, and I did the Crazy Nights album,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I had a conversation with him, and I said, you know. I'd really like to remix Crazy Nights mm-hmm. and take down the synths and put up the guitars a little bit. And he said, you know, that's a good idea. Let me talk to Universal and talk to Doc McGee, who's his, his manager. Yeah. And he, ha- he hasn't got back to me yet, but yeah, uh. sometimes I listen to some of that stuff and I, I think it would be lo- nice to be able to, uh, to kind of
0: modernize it. Yeah. You know? They should put out some kind of 30th, because it's coming up on a 30th anniversary, I think, next year or well, the year after. Make it a deluxe right. version. Well, and I mean, this is
1: all catalog stuff. They could, You know, it's all stuff that's earning money. It, yeah. it's, you know, they could, they could put out a new, especially nowadays with downloads, you don't even have to do physical yeah. uh, CDs anymore. So and that might happen. It'd be nice if it did. But yeah, the Stellosynth thing was new and
0: we were on top of it mm-hmm. yeah you were um, i'm just going to read her a quick quote you don't even have to comment on this this is from the book uh, i want my mtv which is one of the greatest <laughs> music books ever i love it but Anne has a quote in here where she says when i watched them obje- objectify nancy it broke my heart when they loaded her into a harness with her guitar and shoved her off a cliff <laughs> yeah. in the never video i burst into tears and i had to leave the room you know, I was wondering when I was getting ready to talk to you. I thought, I wonder if they. Well,
1: at least it, at least it wasn't Father Guido Sarducci <laughs> and,
0: and, an, and a nun habit. That's so Could true. Could have been worse.
1: Could have been
0: worse. <laughs> so true. You know, I wonder if they had uh, if they had been able to either have hits with their songs but still look like they did in those videos, or have those hits but look differently. If they would have, if it was the combination of both. We didn't write these songs and we're being sexualized. If you had only one or the other, if they would have kinder feelings toward this period. But it's, anyway, just curious. Okay, uh, These Dreams, track four. Um, this is the weird one, as you were saying, the song that uh, would you would not think number one hit when you hear it, but yet it became one. I will admit, I like this song. I've never completely loved this song. There's other tracks mm-hmm. on this album I like way better. But Nancy, from what I understand, had a cold the day that she was supposed to record, and that's what kind of gives her a little bit of a scratchiness in her voice. Is that right?
1: No. No? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yes and no, yes and no, yes and no. Uh. The story of these dreams is, I would set it up for a rehearsal and I was handed a cassette by my manager, Michael Lippman, who also at that point point of time was managing George Michael and managing Bernie Taupin, uh, Elton John's lyricist. And uh, uh, Bernie had written uh, three or four songs with Martin Page, a great writer. And one of those songs was These Dreams. So I listened to it. I listened to those five songs on the way to Seattle. And uh, immediately I hit, these dreams would be perfect for Nancy. Mm. Because, you know, Nancy's a real dreamy girl, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Of course, on that same tape was, we built this city, which I despised. Mm. Right. (laughs) And I, you know, which uh, went on to ruin Uh the Starship's rock cred. And I I never would have done with uh, any band. Mm -hmm. So pretentious, you know, mm-hmm. that's not the where we want to be.
2: Yeah. Anyway,
1: whatever you think about that song. Uh, these Dreams uh, felt great to me, and I thought there was a precedent that, you know, Nancy had always done a song on the previous Heart Records. I thought at this point that maybe Nancy should do two songs in case we have a mm. hit. So we could follow it up. Mm. Was that too much to ask her to do two songs? Would Anne go along with that? Yeah. So I I kind of put that out there. And I think she does do two
0: songs, doesn't she sing? Uh, um, uh, not really. I mean, songs? she might, uh, she d- harmonizes really well, but I think Anne has all the rest Oh no! Yeah, herself. we didn't. Anyway,
1: right. So uh, I think Nancy immediately loved the song. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I remember, when I played it to to Anne, to, when I played it to Nancy, she loved it so much that I think Anne saw her enthusiasm and, and went, yeah, okay, that's fine, you mm. know? Good. And, and so there was not a problem getting that one on board. But she did
0: not have a cold, because I kept reading these things. You well, no, debunking the, myth what, here. what happened? Here's,
1: here's, no, 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 she did have a cold. Okay. Here's what happened. She had a cold the day we did the rough vocal Ah. Um, not the final vocal the vocal that we usually do after we cut the track that we it's called a work vocal or a guide vocal Mm -hmm. it's a vocal we do but it's not the final performance that we use uh, to to do the rest of the stuff Mm -hmm. and then i I like to build the track up into its grandeur let's Mm -hmm. say Mm -hmm. before we do the final vocals so that in the headphones they have something that's really inspiring
2: right
1: instead of just an out-of-tune guitar or something that we you know that we started with so that's the way i work mm-hmm. and she had a cold when she so she was every second of the night <laughs> you know <laughs> right, every right. moment of the day Yeah, you know she she had trouble hitting those those high ones but it we just cracked her voice cracked it just a little bit yeah But what happened was, when we did the final vocal, I would do what's called a vocal comp, which is uh, short for um, a composite.
2: Mm.
1: I would have her sing it half a dozen or more times, and then I would go line by line and take the best lines and put them into a final final vocal. Mm -hmm. And when I got to that part, I missed the fact that I missed the take that she had the cold. Oh. And, and so what I did was I comped those words in, just that little word, mm-hmm. the ones that cracked, okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I used the original uh, uh, work vocal in just a couple of those places. But what eventually happened was, after we came back from uh, in January from the Christmas break, she came up to me and said, Ron, my mom says my voice cracked. <laughs> and I said, please don't make me change that. That's emotion. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And everybody said, yeah, no, we like that. And so,
0: uh, you know. Yeah. It's all good. You know, it's good. It's all, uh, now there's, all things that uh, work kind of like that. Of course. Now, there's a couple. one th- question I had, and, and I hope this even makes sense. Uh, at the end of the line, when she says, I can't resist one of the times she hits as big a note as she's probably capable and would have, you know, exploded that on that note. But Nancy does the best she can with one of those. I can't resist. And one of the times she goes down an octave, you know, very down, very low. And I wondered if her going down an octave was her saying, look, I got a cold. I can't hit those notes that Anne hits on. An oh, no. Like this. no, no, no,
1: no, okay. no, no, Okay. that wasn't that wasn't it at all. And, and uh, to be quite honest, this song took a long time to get to the chorus.
0: Yeah, it did. You're right. And, I never thought of that.
1: And be- because you have an intro, which is long. Yeah. The, da, 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 da. And then a fairly long verse. And then the da, da, and then it goes into another verse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so true. It wasn't until I did, it I, wasn't until I did an edit and took out that second verse that everybody heard of this single. Mm, got it. So there was two versions of that. There's mm-hmm. the album version and the single version. Yep. Uh, because the single version got right to the point. These dreams. Yeah. Please, dream. yeah. Uh, and I had, uh, you know, uh, since I was at the Sausalito record plant doing the, all these vocals, I called in uh, the guys from Huey Lewis, I called in mm. Grace Slick, mm-hmm. sang on What About Love, and mm-hmm. so did Johnny Cola. And I don't remember who sang on these streams, but it's probably on the record somewhere.
0: Let me see if I can <clears> find it. Who, who,
1: who did the backgrounds on that?
0: Small print, my eyesight's not what it once was. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't see it on here. Okay. It's probably in there somewhere. Yeah. I did notice Johnny Cola, mm-hmm. Grace Slick. John, yeah, Johnny Cola, okay. Mickey Thomas uh, yeah, but yeah. I don't think he's on these dreams. Yeah, but yeah.
1: Anyway. I I don't I don't think he was. But okay. the very interesting, you know, the demo the demo uh, that they provided me had the, these backgrounds that Anne does uh, that happened before the lead vocal happened. Hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. In other words, it, in other words, it's it's a very interesting concept to have the background singer sing the line before and not answer the line
2: yeah
1: and uh, i really dug that i dug that in the demo and i kept it but that's very dreamy that's very interesting That's i hadn't heard that done before and i thought wow that's very cool and we kept it i had to hold peter wolf back Mm. a little bit on this really he wanted to go to he wanted to go to Peter Gabriel on me on this one I still had to keep it in the rock I had to keep it rock yeah you know even though it was a ballad it had to keep it couldn't be too uh, there was some like things that Mm -hmm. you had to put on there that uh, little little Chinese like Chinese you know that I had to kind of no 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 no, no.
0: huh
1: but uh, but he does an amazing job on the on the keyboard
0: song yeah he does he does oh that's so fascinating okay last track on side one the wolf this is the right. first song that this was written by the band i right. like this song but as i was saying you can kind of tell that this isn't it may not have worked as like a top 40 single but it's a decent enough uh album track i like it Slight, ever so slight. I hear a little bit of what uh, Yes might have been doing around this time. Not a ton of prog, but just enough of like, enough of something a little more, a little challenging happening underneath it all. Am I mishearing that? Well,
1: I don't recall that. I mean, I thought the wolf was, you know, their best rock song yeah, on the
0: record. It is, yeah. You know,
1: it and it and it had a riff. You know, you know, yeah, it was it it was it was good. It was representing the kind of thing that they did well in the old days, and, and uh, I looked at it as uh, a kind of continuation mm-hmm. song. Uh, there's another song we'll get to, Shell Shock, which isn't no. quite as good, I don't think, no. as The Wolf. They had the interesting lines and the wolf call on the guitar, which mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought was very cool that we very.
0: did. And I, it sounds really good. It does. And you saying that, that it's a call back to the earlier stuff, that makes so much sense. I totally hear that mm-hmm. now. That is great. Yeah. yep, um, yep, yep. Let me ask you about kind of the running order, uh, the track order for this album. Are you involved in that at all? I mean, because this album is very front loaded, obviously, four hits in a row, and then one more on the end we're going to get to in a minute, but um, who makes those
1: decisions? Wait a second. Wait wait a a second.
0: Hmm. Of four hits in a row,
1: I made the choice. I I make that choice. Hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. I made that choice before we had those hits. True. Yeah, it, it, you look at it now, going oh, there's four hits in a row. There mm. uh, they weren't they weren't hits when I did that. Mm-hmm. They were just they were just songs. Good point. And so I did the running order, and I wanted to start it off. I love I still love if looks could kill the mm-hmm. imagery of that. Mm-hmm. And then I knew what about love was going to be the first single. And never was a very pop thing. These dreams. I mean, that it, you know I wouldn't change anything.
0: No, it fit, flows perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that, that, um, you know, when you're putting these things together, they're just songs. It's not like you're not (laughs) making a mixtape or anything like that. True. Okay. Okay, so the first song on side two, All Eyes. This is also written with Holly. One of the questions I had Russ Ballard on here a few years ago and uh, he's a great guy and I was asking him a similar question you know all eyes was not a single but when you hire someone like Holly Knight or Russ Ballard to write a song for your album don't they go into it with the expectation that their song will be a single that's why you paid to have them well I assume paid that's why you collaborated with them in the first place or does that not factor well, we in? we don't pay them yeah, you know okay. uh, they, they
1: get they get paid if the song if the album there you know who uh, holly knight got paid for all eyes mm-hmm. because it sold 10 million 10 million records yeah she gets paid on that but she didn't get paid on the single aspect of it because it wasn't a single
2: mm-hmm.
1: but certainly there probably was expectation that all eyes could be a single and mm-hmm. it just never really gelled or at least to the point where there was other ones that that uh, outshone
0: it Okay I guess what I was thinking of Is that You know If you were Like you're hiring Someone's services Like yeah Holly Knight is saying Yes I'd love to work with you My fee <laughs> is A thousand dollars a day Or what You know what it, if, they, if that's how it works Maybe that's not how it works No it's
1: not how it works at all Okay You know Songwriters get paid Royalties mm-hmm. For their songs uh, They don't They don't get a fee For writing the song
2: mm. Okay
1: they they get a they get they get writers royalties uh if it's a hit sure and they they make a lot of money
2: yeah. if it's a hit
1: song yeah she totally. had two songs she made a fortune <laughs> she made more money on this record than i did <laughs> oh my
0: gosh that's true
1: with the probably, royalties yeah probably. yeah
0: right oh my gosh that's true um there's a great opening riff to this song it's a killer out of the gate opening riff um, I've always thought the chorus was just slightly a little awkward in its delivery, but um, I did notice I heard for the first time in listening to get ready to talk to you, I think I hear some mandolin under there. And I wonder how prominent is Nancy's guitar playing on this album? She played acoustic and rhythm.
1: Howard Leafs played most of the guitar. Okay. And Howard Howard is a great, great guitar player, wonderful guy. Uh, he was so easy to work with, and Nancy too. They were all pretty, really easy to work with. Good. I love Denny and Mark. Howard had this great uh, Paul Reed Smith guitar. I'm trying to think of what he called it, Golden Eagle, I think. <laughs> you know, I, I kept going to different guitars to trying to beat it, and I couldn't. Mm. You know, he had a great he had a great rig, had a good good sound, and he wasn't the fanciest guitar player, mm-hmm. but he, he he did everything. He you know. Yeah. In that band, he played keyboards. He played uh, lead guitar, rhythm guitar. You know, he he did everything. Uh, okay, okay. So, uh, but Nancy, I don't remember a mandolin on there. Oh, but I'll have to give you the thirty-five years answer on that one. <laughs> That's
0: fine. I thought I heard a little something on there, and then it made me really because I know that it's she's possible more acoustically focused. I don't think she's in there playing the rift to shell shock or whatever. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, it could have been that or sometimes I use a Nashville tune guitar. You know what that is?
2: Mm-mm, no.
1: A Nashville, Nashville tune guitar is the is an octave up. It's the huh? top six strings from a 12 string. Oh, so it's like okay. if you put a regular if you put a Nashville tune guitar and and then doubled it with a regular tuned guitar it would sound like a 12 string with two okay. guitars
2: Oh, fascinating!
1: so uh, sometimes they use that whereas a mandolin it's a totally different tuning
2: yeah yeah
1: and um, I'm not sure we did mandolin or if they even had a mandolin okay. I didn't get a mandolin player
0: and I don't think so okay. I'm not sure what it was but it could have been some other trick probably was I'm not a music expert anyway it sounded something like that mandolin ish one of my favorite lyrics on the whole album is, uh, when you look at me like that, it melts my legs. I love, I, <laughs> I mean, there's there's <laughs> yeah. ways to say that and saying it that way is so fun and clever. I love when she says that. Right, right. Um, okay, then uh, the next song is Nobody Home. This is a very right. obvious mellow power ballad. Um, I believe they wrote this too. Was the thinking going into this? It feels so stripped back compared to everything else on the album. Was that intentional? This song is my favorite
1: song of Anne's on the record.
0: Really? Yes.
1: Wow. this is my favorite of, of the songs that she wrote. and I love this song and it, it just starts yeah. It starts kind of like just with a, a Fender Rhodes kind mm-hmm. of piano, a soft piano. And builds pretty big at the end.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Big ballady song. Yeah. But not hard. No. No, not hard.
0: No. But melancholy kind of. Wow, I love hearing that. Do you um you know, were were you disappointed it wasn't released as a single or you
1: know, I, I no. I I, don't, okay. I didn't really hear that as a single. Okay. And one of the reasons why we brought outside tunes. I didn't really hear these songs as singles. Mm-hmm. I remember Ann saying to me one time, I read somewhere you didn't like our songs. <laughs> and I said, I've, I've never said that. Mm-hmm. I might have said, I didn't think you had any singles. I had to fit this this kind of concept of yeah. contemporary hit radio, CHR radio, there was 170 stations. And you had to have something to fit into that format if you really wanted to have a hit record in those days. Mm-hmm. And we were making this from 1985.
0: Yeah. Your friend Frankie Sullivan from uh, Survivor plays guitar on this song, right? Does he? uh, That's what the lighter notes say. (laughs) Oh, I didn't remember that. Okay. uh, it's possible. Yeah, according to that, he plays on this and nothing at all. he
1: says it. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're at Nobody Home, right?
0: Yeah, Nobody Home and nothing at all. He Uh, apparently plays guitar on all those songs. Okay. Okay. Well, says that he did.
1: Okay. I don't remember that, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you have seen them live around this time? Do you know how when they were playing concerts, were they playing the five singles, or would they go into some of these album tracks live at that time? Do you know? Uh,
1: you know what? When they went on tour after this.
0: Yeah. To promote Uh,
1: this. Yeah, I did see them. I did see them. I remember going to. The Oakland Coliseum to see them, and I remember Stevie Nicks coming out on stage with a tambourine nice. and playing along with them. Okay. Uh, yeah, they were uh, they would uh, they would you know they were armed with these new hits, mm-hmm. and of course they they would do Crazy on You yeah. and Magic Man and Barracuda, and uh, and then they would always end up with Rock and Roll, you know the Zeppelin mm-hmm, song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, they put on a great show in those days.
0: Mm-hmm. Really great show. I believe it. Okay, nothing at all. That's my favorite song on the album and that's my favorite heart song of all, actually. love yeah. how uh positive it is it it feels as positive as the message of the song if there they go hand in hand you know this was also the song that kind of made me come around. I was 12 years old when this album came out, and I had liked hearing these, I know. Pretty pretty sophisticated, (laughs) weren't you? Right, right. Um, I remember liking these songs when they came on the radio, but not feeling motivated to go buy the album. But probably uh, almost 20 years ago, I was in a uh, weird little burger shop in Heber, Utah, and someone put this song on the jukebox. And for whatever reason that at that moment on that day, it was the greatest thing I had ever heard. And I just thought I have been sleeping on heart all this time. (laughs) And, uh, I, that's when I sort of became a fan, a big enough fan that I would go buy the albums and stuff. You know what I mean? And this was probably 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. You know, uh, this song, nothing at all was not my favorite song. Yeah. I, I did this song, uh, at the request of Don Grierson, who mm. so played me this song. And I said, you know, Don, I really like this song. I don't think it fits as well into the mix of the other songs. because It's so different, but I like it. And he said, well, trust me on this one. And I, yeah. and I said, OK. I don't remember there being a lot of resistance. I think he's, he, you know, I had to sell these songs to the girls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He had to sell this one to the girls. Really? Now, I, I don't. Really? I don't mean that there was any resistance, but in other words, Don wants you to do the song. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. So if it's Ron wants you to do the song, okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's what, why why I'm, I'm I'm kind of putting it like that. Huh. It wasn't like, please resistance at least. But uh, I, having said that, remember what I, I talked to you earlier about.
0: Uh, they would never say anything to me they'd yeah. just tell Trudy Green. Yeah. So, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe is that could that be why this album is not buried but it's on further back in the running track order because maybe there were lower expectations for it?
1: Uh what can I what can I say? Uh the last few songs on a record probably aren't the best songs. Mm.
0: So that's a real thing. Okay. But
1: they got they got to be somewhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go somewhere. Yeah. Well yeah, this is uh this is my favorite. It was written by a guy named Mark Mueller, who um uh-huh. I as a name I, 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 think I, was, I, think, I think it was Australian or something. Was I, he? I, well I, got the... I looked him up. Yeah, did you never... been... Oh okay. Yeah. yeah, he's American. I'd never heard of him before. Oh and apparently oh, okay. he's wrote a bunch of hits, none of which I knew, and his biggest one is called Crush. By Jennifer page from 1998 she's someone whose name I recognize but I don't know that song maybe I do and I've forgotten about it but uh, apparently that guy's got a lot of hits I they just aren't hits that you know were hits to me in my life but right. yeah okay well look it seems like this album has something for everybody it's... <laughs> that's a good way of saying it yes yeah yeah, I don't know what it is. Nothing at all. It just, uh, it, it makes me happy. It just, I love the positive vibe of it. You know, we've heard If Looks Can right. Kill mm-hmm. about the woman being cheated on. Here's someone who's happy in love and the song sounds happy. Mm-hmm. And I like that vibe. Right. right. So anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What He Don't Know, second to last song. I will admit I like this song this is the one I forget about the most this is the one where I have to be like now which one is that one again oh yeah that's the one to me it sounds almost like cha-cha it's got a little bit of like a cha-cha beat going on to it you know what I mean okay this this
1: is where heart was then this is the kind of thing they were writing Mm. this is what had this is what had to change Mm. this is the kind of thing they were coming up with yeah didn't fit into a, a category as such uh, yeah. I, I understand shell Shock more mm-hmm. and the wolf more because they they really they, they rock yeah. you know yeah okay. so uh, I feel like uh, what you don't know is a forgettable song yeah <laughs> it's 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 tough to well I mean it's not memorable yeah I guess it's forgettable right yeah
0: yeah That's how I felt, but I didn't want to rain on anyone's parade. So you agreeing with me—that kind of says it all, I think. Um,
1: Uh, Yeah, I do. But I have. Let me just say that sometimes you you start recording, and uh, there's dark horses. You know, Mm -hmm. there's things that come alive Mm -hmm. with at some aspect of the recording. Either, even you think of something. uh, Somebody gets inspired on a backing track to to kind of play a certain thing, and a, a hook emerges, and. Things, as, as songs develop, they can take on lives of their own. Mm, yeah. And th- sometimes it just doesn't happen. And that's the case on this one, What You Don't Know. Yeah. Didn't uh, really d- do much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't dislike it, but like I said, it's the one that I can't right. remember. Um, it doesn't really right. leave much of an impact on me. One thing I wanted to ask you about, I meant to bring it up with nothing at all, but throughout this entire record, the harmonies are fantastic on every song and I know it's the two of them I think you remember you mentioned last time that was it Tom Kelly or Billy Steinberg that does some harmonies on here
1: no, not on this record Oh, I not think, the, was uh, that on
0: bad animals that okay. was on bad animals too. okay that was Tom um, Kelly I'm Kelly that's it uh, and I don't know if it's always the two of them I'm guessing there's a lot of treatment involved in production wise on how to like really gloss it up and make it sound perfect. But when I was reading the liner notes, there's a woman named Lynn Wilson listed as a background singer' it's their sister okay. older sister that's what I wondered yep. yeah
1: she came in the yep singing singing Wilson sisters yeah. yeah Lynn I forgot totally about that yeah Lynn Lynn came in to sing you know we, because we did the vocals and we all the finishing touches were done at the Sausalito record plant and we were both like in hotels at that point mm-hmm. you know uh, in, in Marin. I was pulling in people like Grace Slicker, Mickey Thomas, and, and uh, the guys from Huey Lewis. I was like pulling in my Bay Area mm-hmm. uh, uh, people yeah. to help out on this. And that's why we have so much of them on there, because that's, mm-hmm. that's the area. They were, we were out of Seattle, and we were out of L.A. So uh, the, the, uh, that's And I, I mixed it at the record plant in, in, in Sausalito, too. Mm. And there's a great photo of uh myself with the uh with the girls and don grierson don sitting in the middle of the photo like a promo photo mm. sitting there holding a reel of tape and that was we had just finished the 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 mixing and he came up to hear the mixes mm. uh and it's a great black and white photo oh, that cool. sounds good i'll send
0: it I'll i'd send love it, it to you. i'd love to see that you know i just thought of this when the girls come to work do they put on their makeup do they wear their high heels or do they come in their yeah. pajamas? Yeah, oh no.
1: No, 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 no. They, yeah, they, 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 they came ready to go, ready to rock. Every time. Yeah. Okay. They,
0: yeah. Well, that's girls do that. Well, I know. <laughs> so they, don't go,
1: they don't go out of the house
0: looking like crap ever. Well, I know, you know? but I didn't know if it was like, hey, we're, we don't need to get no. dressed up to go to the studio. Yeah, you know? but yeah, they did. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay. Last track, Shell Shock. Yeah, this is the heaviest by far on the album. I think this and The Wolf. You nailed it. I mean, this those and the are wolf. Wolf. This, just killer this hard and The song. Wolf. Yeah. And once again, I I had it written down, but Nancy's playing guitar. She's just not the lead guitar on these songs. She's kind of in there playing rhythm or playing something maybe acoustic or something. No,
1: no, no. Well, you know, Nancy, when Hart first started, she was on acoustic and Roger was the guitar player. Roger, I believe, was the guy that wrote all those cool riffs. And Mm. one of the reasons when... Because Roger and I believe Anne were in a relationship.
0: Ah, uh, I wondered. Okay.
1: Uh, 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 you know, and Nancy was in a relationship with the with the drummer, and when those relationships soured, those two guys left the band, mm-hmm. and I believe that that you can trace that back to why they they kind of you know the the great thing about Heart you know with the uh, Dreamboat Annie was the you know the uh, like uh, crazy on you, riffy dong, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. yeah, and her singing amazing, her amazing chops, and then the kind of dog and butterfly kind of ballad thing that they mm-hmm. would do. Mm-hmm. and that was the that was the the thing that they had. And when they lost Roger, I think they lost that, I don't think Howard leese came up with those kind of hooky things as good a guitar player as he is yeah and that's one of the reasons they were in the predicament they were in. they lost their their element of the old heart Mm -hmm. and they and it's it's you know so ann wilson there's no good crying about it you know you broke up the band and you had to pay for it Right. right
0: you know right well um good well that's it i mean this is a Classic album, biggest of their career, one of the biggest of your career. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, deservedly so. I think Anne is one of the greatest singer rock singers ever, let alone female rock singers. Um, uh, no kidding. Yeah, and um, no kidding. I love this album and Bad Animals. My second favorite song of theirs from this era is uh, Who Will You Run To? That would, after, uh-huh. after um, nothing at all, that's my next favorite, but uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. So you, um, okay. Do you have like, is there what did we not touch on something? Do you have one mm. overriding memory from this period that I didn't ask you about that you wanna share?
1: God, I think we went through pretty much uh, all of the, uh, uh, all the things I can remember. Okay. And through track by track. I can't, uh, nothing that I can remember right now. Probably when we get off the phone, I'll probably <laughs> remember a bunch right. of stuff. Right. But that's, a. am kind of tapped out right now. Okay, good.
0: Uh, well, Ron, you're the you're the greatest. I I would thank you, Matt. Thank I, you, John. There you go, folks. Ron Nevison discussing Hart's 1985 self-titled commercial breakthrough album. I love that album, and I just want to stress again how fortunate we are to hear from somebody like Ron Nevison in this way. In fact, uh, back when this interview took place, I was uh, texting with paul underwood and with pat francis and i was like guys what if we quit our jobs and we moved to washington state for like three months and every day we recorded ron talking about another album that he's worked on and then we produced it and we put it out as like a series of podcasts or an audiobook or whatever can you imagine how wonderful that would be just to hear ron tell these stories about these things over and over oh my gosh anyway thank you ron and uh I hope Hart's listening. I hope they share this with their fans. I really don't know. Uh, Next month's episode is already kind of in the works. As I've mentioned before, there are always several sort of out there. One is Taking Shape that I have not already mentioned before. It's a guest who is one of our most entertaining guests by far. He's not a household name. He came in early on and uh, we're discussing doing a deep dive on one of their albums and it is shaping up to be a very fascinating conversation. So that, uh, who knows? I don't know when that'll come out, but that is in the works. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this Deep Dive series. I know I am, okay? Huge thanks, as always, to our right-hand man, Jan Jan, the Man Mokavich. And uh, listen up on Tuesday. I don't think we have any more bonus episodes coming up for a while, but um, Tuesday we have a big uh, episode with another British alternative from the 80s music producer, engineer, mixer. I think you guys are going to like it. Take care.